there. This is Cassia. And this is Coden. And welcome to The Oven Hawk, a podcast where we discuss Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, as well as all things Star Wars. Today we will be discussing Project Luminous, the High Republic era, and what that means for the Old Republic. This is episode 17, and this is where the round table begins. First of all, we were talking about Project Luminous. It was revealed on February 24th, 2020, so just earlier this year. Within the official trailer that Lucasfilm, they were saying like, yeah, what Project Luminous is, is comics and books telling the story in like kids books, teens comics and books, adults comics and books. Uh, it's telling the story of the High Republic era which is set 200 years before The Phantom Menace. So it's going to be like kind of telling a consecutive story for like all Star Wars fans. And it's just kind of interesting because like the earlier rumors were kind of saying like this is going to be 400 years before the prequels and then like now it's 200 years, but, but never 300. I found the trailer, it was very prequel chic, so I, I appreciated that because like after... The sequel trilogy, it was kind of just like pretending to some extent that the prequels never happened. It was nice to just kind of see some prequel love again. Kind of the opening portion of that trailer showed a lot of prequel footage, a lot of scenes of lots of Jedi together. And I think that's what Disney is kind of envisioning the High Republic to be is uh, Jedi going out in groups as peacemakers. So we'll see how th this... Uh, this kind of uh, unfolds and envelops through uh, th through the next little bit as these release. Um, I'm excited to kind of see what's going on with the books. I'm not big like comic book person. You know, I am curious to see what kind of novels they release off of this. So, yeah, I I've kind of been a little bit gun shy with the new uh, Star Wars books because I read so many of like the old expanded universe. And knew what, like, kept up with all the lore and the knowledge, and then all of a sudden, like, it kind of just didn't matter anymore. So then I, I was, like, a little bit reluctant to have to learn new things. So, I mean, I'm aware of it, but I just haven't really read it. The last comic book series I that was Star Wars that I kind of kept up with was, surprise, surprise, Knights of the Old Republic. I hope it tells a, a good, consistent story. And I think it's smart to go with something, you know, totally new and unestablished um, under the original Lucasfilm or, like, Disney Lucasfilm. It's it's hard to, like, tell a story that's already been told and have it be accepted by fans. The one one book that I, I picked up and kind of took a glance through over at Barnes & Noble, and it was basically kind of a rehash of some, like, Qui-Gon story and some Obi-Wan story that we already knew, but they, like, retold, which was a bit odd. Master and Apprentice. Okay, so I think it's Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. There is a book called Secrets of the Jedi, uh, which is, like, Luke Skywalker 
kind of like writing about like the force and all the different Jedi's like and it's just kind of funny because there was a book also called Secrets of the Jedi in the old EU about like Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Anakin dealing with attachment and how they kind of dealt with it. It was by Jude Watson, so it was interesting to see that title used again. I was just thinking that that's one thing that I'm okay with Disney kind of going with this High Republic era is because it is going to be something that is less, if not hardly touched at all, other than KOTOR. As long as like some core things are kind of held, I think this could be pretty good. Kind of looking at the High Republic, what they explained, it's a time of relative peace and calm. I was kind of getting a Camelot vibe from it. The Republic's borders and frontier are expanding. It's kind of like settling the Great Plains of America, that kind of time. So it's like a little bit of a Wild West, but like there's also like hope and promise. It's kind of like the best version of that, minus, you know, Native American genocide, probably. The Jedi Knights, they kind of describe the Jedi Knights of this era. It's like they're the Jedi Knights of the Round Table. They're kind of wearing like the gold temple attire and like some Jedi adventure attire. And they have some pretty cool looking lightsabers that kind of remind me of this Excalibur. So this is this is one of those pieces where I, I think could go either way with how they tell the story of the High Republic. Um, this is an era where the Jedi Sentinel role shines because of a time of peace and the Sith kind of being pushed back the jedi were able to focus on establishing and maintaining peace throughout the galaxy the jedi who had more of that role were the sentinels where they were the kind of influence on planet and who would relay back to the jedi temple because when you get to like uh the clone wars and rebels that's where you kind of see they kind of have some vestiges left over like jedi temple guards it's kind of like a duty like it's like jury duty except you kind of guard the temple you have yellow lightsabers and stuff like that and like you're kind of dressed up with masks you can see some of like these reproductions of the masks in galaxy's edge they're pretty cool but like you kind of feel like the prequel era jedi kind of lost connection with like the jedi sentinel role and it was kind of more like they only cared about like the consulars and the guardians and there were less like lightsaber color options available so it kind of seems like they became disconnected from like some of the deeper um traditions that they had but also i just wanted to add that ian mckay who designed darth maul he was brought on to design some of these looks of the jedi the scoundrels bounty hunters and uh the group called the nile like space vikings which We'll talk about in a second. I guess the story starts with a catalyst called the Great Disaster. And it looks like there's going to be an issue on a space station that looks like Centerpoint Station from the old EU. So I kind of wonder if they'll kind of touch on any old stories like that. They evoke King Arthur and kind of the look in like Jedi Knights of the Round Table. But as, as you know... Or maybe you don't know, but I find this stuff interesting. Like, King Arthur, it ends in tragedy. I mean, Camelot was kind of a golden age. Sometimes, like, when things are prosperous, it leads to, like, stagnation and people kind of becoming weaker. So maybe, like, this High Republic era 
is kind of what leads to the Jedi becoming corrupted in the prequel era and like kind of leads to the rise of the Empire. That is a pretty good point because the Phantom Menace really kind of tells a story about how that order falls apart. You just kind of have the blind Jedi Council and and then it just ends up in ruin by the end of Revenge of the Sith. Because so. Kiati Monday in The Phantom Menace says like the Sith have been extinct for over a millennia. And I kind of wonder if the Jedi kind of need that presence, like the Sith, to like battle against to kind of define themselves on. Otherwise, they kind of just stagnate. I kind of wonder if they need each other in a way, like kind of a balance. I do have some concerns about the High Republic. My first is that when you create via a committee, sometimes it turns meh, you know? They had a story group for the sequel trilogy, but that trilogy still had, even if you're a big fan of it, you have to admit like seven, eight, nine kind of didn't really build off of each other and it was inconsistent and there were things that broke with established lore. And then I also think my second concern is Lucasfilm needs a Lucas-like figure who's like a competent creative who knows and respects and loves the canon of Star Wars the way George Lucas envisioned it, but they also need to be a competent business person and they also need to work with a team. Lucas wasn't always able to listen to others, which is why Gary Kurtz ended up leaving Return of the Jedi. So like, I mean, Lucas wasn't perfect in that regard, but like he had some outlandish ideas, but like when he was able to kind of talk with other people, he was able to kind of refine it because or else if we went with the first version of Star Wars, it wouldn't have worked. Star Wars was saved in the edit. I think that the reason why it worked out as well as it did was because George Lucas had the overall picture and he knew exactly what he wanted. And yeah. eventually he got there like it. He, he got what he was capable to get on the initial release of Star Wars, but as technology evolved, he was able to revisit and and um, make adjustments to provide like a little bit more of what he envisioned. And some of those adjustments are you know, are great. Some people have issues with other pieces of those adjustments, but they're just um, they're just pieces that George Lucas wasn't very happy with, and he wanted to improve upon them. And I think that for the most part they do they do work out fine but the thing is with the newer way of developing these films is that um, because there's so many people involved and they all have their own vision of what they want it ends up just kind of being a creative mess that they try and put together at the end but it it just kind of it just kind of ends the Skywalker's re-ending i mean like star wars like the reason he made it is like i mean yes to make money but he had a story to tell like he felt like he had something he wanted to share and he felt passionate about it he had like a vision for their four five and six and one two three and he was kind of the he was kind of like the executive or the president of star wars with Disney Lucasfilm. I think there's a lot of like passionate people, but there's no kind of person leading the charge. So it's all consistent. It just seems like some people are like, oh, let's see if that sticks, you know? But I, I think like that kind of approach doesn't work with something like Star Wars. You want high quality adventure stories, you know? Yeah. And I think that like the, kind of the, the spinoff films, I 
did like a little bit more than the Skywalker saga because they were uh, they had a little bit more creative freedom than the uh, the Skywalker trilogy did. Though there, though those stories had their own issues, I th- I feel like that they told a kind of better start to finish story than the than the uh, sequels did. Yeah, I mean, I I loved Rogue One, and like for me, Rogue One fits with uh, George Lucas's Skywalker saga. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I I didn't really love Solo. There are parts I like about seven, eight, and nine, but it just kind of feels like it's kind of like an alternate universe off of like the original trilogy. It doesn't feel like one through nine or one big hole for me. So maybe in the future it will and it will settle, but. I, I'm not quite there yet. So we'll see what happens, but it's just interesting because the whole reason why George Lucas created Lucasfilm is so a studio wouldn't dictate what he could or couldn't do. And then he ended up selling Lucasfilm to Disney, who kind of kind of dictates what they can and can't do. Anyways, the first entry of Project Luminous will be The Light of the Jedi by Christopher Soule. It is expected August 25th, 2020. And other contributors include Claudia Gray, Justina Ireland, Daniel Jose Older, and Kevin Scott. And there may be others, but those are the ones I was able to track down and Coden helped me track that down too. So um, we did have a couple of viewer questions come through. So our first question comes from Plex Armory. And they said, do you think we will see Yoda at all? And that's a that's a pretty good question. The, uh, the stories would take place in a time where Yoda would be in his prime. And so the question is, is, is Disney going to have Yoda, like, I guess, where are they going to be setting Yoda on the Jedi Council? Will he be there at this time? Or is he going to be in more of the the master role of uh, training training Jedi on kind of out and about on his own thing. Uh, what do you think, Cassia? I'm kind of reminded of the early Spider-Man comics where Aunt May always wanted to introduce Peter to his, her neighbor's daughter or niece. I can't really quite remember which it was, but they would like... Peter and Mary Jane would, you would never see Mary Jane's face. And it was kind of like a running gag. And then finally, Peter runs into MJ and she said, face it, tiger, you've hit the jackpot. It would be kind of funny if like Yoda's in the background, but we don't really see what happens with him. Kind of just after like the sequel trilogy, how like some of the legacy characters were handled. I really wouldn't want to see too many different interpretations of Yoda because it's such an iconic character and I think how you see his uh, development through all the all the films is pretty much perfect. It would be nice to have him in the background know he's there but maybe not like central character. Yeah, Disney isn't afraid to uh, bring in a cameo 
uh, through their production. So like I'm highly confident that Yoda will be there in one form or another. Yeah. But I I'm kind of with you, Cassie. I'd rather a like a cameo appearance and like a background sighting of Yoda and not have like a in your face like representation of Yoda. There have been people that have done Yoda very well like the like the Clone Wars versions of Yoda have all yeah. been really good. But you know, it's just there's so many different iterations. I I think for me with the story of the High Republic, like I want to see new stuff for the most part. Like it makes sense to see a little bit of Yoda, but I just want to I want to see a lot of just new people, new uh new stories. So we'll see how it happens. Like we have the first blonde Jedi in the center of Christopher Soul's uh, Light of the Jedi. Her name is Avar Chris. Maybe there's other blonde Jedi, you know, but in the new canon, it feels like this is the first one. So you mean she isn't another British brunette? Yeah, for once, you know, uh, and she's not Ray's mom. So <laughs> yeah, um, so we'll see those new characters and there's the Wookiee. Uh, named Augaburi, so it'll be interesting. He, a Wookiee Jedi wielding like an Excalibur-like lightsaber, so and we'll we'll be introduced to lots of new characters, so I'm I'm excited. And then we follow this up with uh, the next viewer question. I accidentally misplaced this name. It the question came from Instagram, so I'm sorry, uh, whoever it is. Um, Tell me, like, after if it was you, and I'll, I'll, I'll correct it. This person said, I'm curious to see if these new space Vikings are supposed to be a nod to the KOTOR Mandos. Uh, so these new space Vikings, they're called the Nile. It reminds me of the, of the Nihilists I've met in my life, you know, where it's like, nothing matters, you know? Like, they're Vikings where it's like, you can't take it with you, so we're going to take it from you, like they say in the trailer. Um, I wonder if that's a nod to, like, Darth Nihilus. And if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm sorry. I'm still learning my Latin, you know? That's that's kind of what I thought it was a link to. Like, it's like they're they're a threat, but they're kind of not like, you know, like a grade grade A threat like the Sith were. Maybe maybe they're going to be similar to the, the threat that Palpatine foresaw and was preparing for. But whether they're the same thing or if they're something completely different. I don't know. Well, I mean, this is 200 years before Palpatine and they're never really mentioned again. I think it's just kind of like they're like space Viking pirates who are just trying to mm -hmm. make a quick buck, but, you know, like as the Republic is expanding their borders, you know, and like, because yeah. it's kind of like a, they kind of mention like the Jedi are kind of like the Texas Rangers. It's like, it's like the Old West, you know, like the way Hollywood imagines it, you know? So it's like, have to be on your toes, you know? So. Oh, the Unknown Regions. Like, there's a there's a section outside the Unknown Regions that has kind of a hostile race that Palpatine, be, like, kind of learned about and became worried about. You Hazen Vong. The yeah. Busan Vang. It's on a... I, I came across it through... Um, Generation Tech channel. He was talking about it for a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a, a race that's been around for much longer than any of these guys, but it was just kind of a threat that was kind of in the back of Sidious's mind as he was coming to power. 
Yeah. And, but he only really knew about because of his connection with the Sith. I kind of like a version of Palpatine that just wanted to take over the galaxy and create Death Stars because he was just evil, not because he was trying to save the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting uh, way to look at Star Wars. So, But one thing I'm kind of wondering is, what does this mean for the Old Republic? And I came across this comment responding to Star Wars Theory's video reacting to High Republic new trailer. It was from someone named uh, Daniel, and I'll just read his comment. He says, I just have a question. Why are they going with the High Republic that's 200 years before Star Wars instead of the Old Republic, which was 4,000 years before? You can't say there's no source material for this era, and Old Republic is probably the best marketing tool after Skywalker Saga in terms of public awareness. In my opinion, The Old Republic is safer and easier for Lucasfilm to create. The only thing I can think of would be that The High Republic lends itself better to the Marvel formula for movie making and TV shows instead of the traditional trilogy and anthology format, which I'm assuming Lucasfilm is not interested in doing anymore. So what do you think of that, Coden? So I I do kind of agree with what he's saying. I think that there's though there's a lot of really good source material material for the old republic i think disney's more interested in a a fresh like a fresh slate for a star wars story and something that they can like ultra franchise like the marvel cinematic universe the high republic is something that they could get away with that and they're starting with books and comics now which is cheaper to to produce manufacture than like a a feature film or or a like a film series or tv show and i think that this would be a really good test run for disney to see if there's a large interest in this era of star wars and then maybe later turn it into film or tv show with uh, the old republic we've discussed this in the past where like they've got two ways they can do it if they went more of a film or TV show route. They could either tell the story that's told in the video game or they can tell a story in the world of the video game. And there's like, though they can do it and there's lots of great source material, there's a lot of room to upset some diehard fans like us trying to tell that story um, just with the piggyback of what people know. Yeah. I think after the sequel trilogy has been divisive, They just want something like fans can't complain. They're like ruining the source material because like it's something that didn't exist. And I kind of don't believe Lucasfilm when they say this isn't going to be a film or TV show or anything. I think if it's successful, like anything can happen. I mean, it's kind of smart what they're doing, but I would like to see the older public adapted one day. And I mean, I kind of keep saying this, but like I think Knights of the Older Public if you make that first game and you divide it into a trilogy, it would be cinematic. People would love it. Even, like, non-gamers would love it. It just is a Star Wars story. It's not a video game story. It's just a good story, you know, period. And I think, like, Knights of the Old Republic 2, probably it's it's also a great story. It's very deep, but I think... You would maybe be doing a disservice to make it into a movie or two movies. I think it would be, you could explore the deep themes better 
and all of the different characters, Kreia, you know, and the Force and just everything in a Disney Plus series, like with multiple seasons, I, I would love that. It's interesting because Knights of the Old Republic 1, it was kind of like a little bit like The Force Awakens. Like it, it kind of like uses all of the things that people love about Star Wars. It incorporates like, you know, like an Old Republic, an original trilogy story, but kind of in a prequel universe and like kind of is doing its own thing but it's like kind of traditional Star Wars and then Knights of the Old Republic 2. It's kind of like subversive Star Wars, but like kind of good subversive. Like it, it doesn't like break the fan base, but it, it just like, it gives you something unique and something deep to think about that like people are still like talking about like Kreia and her philosophy like 16 years later, you know, and it's kind of incredible, you know? And then I also think, like, how would you like this code? And, like, after the Clone Wars is done, like, what if they created, like, a the Mandalorian Wars kind of as a prequel after um, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 have been adapted? Oh, uh, no, I think that'd be good. I know that the live-action production things are pretty... that they, they can be pretty hard to set up and and get done correctly and i think that the animation route is a very strong route for like sub stories like the mandalorian wars and so i think that would be a really fun and like really good story to tell that can easily be done um through animation some people want to like would want to start out like a knights of the old republic movie or something or whatever with the mandalorian wars but i kind of think it's like something you know like after the fact like I think you should go on the, like, join in the journey of Revan, like, how it's established in Knights of the Old Republic, where you, like, it's a process of discovering that truth, you know, rather than just, like, knowing, like, kind of seeing the Mandalorian Wars and then seeing him brainwashed and then kind of reliving the Knights of the Old Republic story. Yeah, I think the the more that they focus on, like, a character, I'd, I'd like to see, so, like, if it's, if it's a story about like multiple people, I think like a, a TV show, regardless if it's animated or or high production, I think that's where a TV show really shines is when you want to tell multiple stories with lots of different people and characters. Yeah. But as the story focuses in, say like if they did, if they did make a Kotor movie, and you're really only following three people then that's when I would rather see a film, whether it's just an animated film or a, or an actual live production film. Because the way I see it, like, you have your three mains, like with Knights of the Old Republic. You have Bastila, you have Karth, and Revan. And then you kind of have some, like, different characters who could, like... I mean, we kind of mentioned in, like, uh, the episode where we were talking about Mission. Maybe it's, like, she's a stays on one planet after Terrace, you know, and then joins up for, like, the final Starforge battle, and then, like, different characters kind of come and go, you know? Maybe that could happen. And then with, like, Knights of the Old Republic 2, you kind of have a big crew, um, but, like, the three mains are, like, Atten Rand, um, Kreia, and the Jedi Exile, a.k.a. Mitra Surik. Flash forward to the future, uh, in episode 18, we'll be t discussing Atten Rand. 
brace yourselves. This has been Cassia. And this has been Conan. And you can find us at twitch.tv forward slash Conan Bond. And uh, there I'll be streaming the uh, SOTOR, The Old Republic, Thursday nights. If uh, if you want to email us comments or questions, you can do that on the Ebonhawk Podcast at gmail.com. And then our Instagram is Ebonhawk Podcast. And if you have any comments or questions, you can uh, leave them there. Our podcast can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes at The Ebon Hawk. We're always grateful for subscriptions and reviews. And our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shoreman. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. And he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been episode 17 of The Ebon Hawk. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.